Welcome to ARE Live. Um, I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles. Today I'm with Mike Newman, and we're going to be chatting with a few young architects who have recently passed the ARE. Um, we've done this session once before, and it's pretty interesting. It's an opportunity for you guys to hear, um, you know, how some young architects did it. Everybody seems to have a slightly different approach, a slightly different way to do it. So. I've always thought it was really cool to hear all the different nuances and different ideas. I know as I was uh, sharing with a couple of our um, uh, panelists today, um, when you know, I happened to run into somebody when I was pursuing licensure, and you know, somebody shared some great advice with me, and I took it, and it totally worked. So uh, I'm excited today to share, uh, you know, this opportunity to to chat with uh, a couple of folks. We have Allison. Conley from Adrian Smith and Gordon Gill Architecture in Chicago. We have Amanda Snelson from ZGF Architects in Los Angeles. <clears throat> we have Kyle Richardson from Felonis Architects in Santa Monica, and uh, uh, as well as Ben Edwards from FFKR Architects in Salt Lake City. Uh, but before we get started, if you would like to attend our next ARE live broadcast, where we'll review our mock exam uh, for the building design and construction systems, you can go to blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register. Um, and then during the broadcast, you'll have a chance to ask questions to the group and Mike. Um, and, you know, if for some reason you don't know Mike Newman, <laughs> um, he's an adjunct professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. He's also the founder of Shed Studio, and he is the instructor for Black Spectacles online ARE prep curriculum. Um, and if you haven't already checked out our ARE exam prep curriculum, you can head over to blackspectacles.com to watch any of the free tutorials from the courses. Um, and then finally today, we have a very special Black Spectacles promo code to share, so make sure you stick around uh, until the end for that. And we'll be taking questions using the GoToWebinar question box, as well as on Twitter using the hashtag uh, ARELivePodcast. So again, ARELivePodcast is the hashtag. Um, so with that, I'll hand it over to Mike. So yeah, Mark, as you just uh, said, one of the things that I think is really interesting about doing this, these sessions, is, as you said, this is the second one we've done, is uh, we love hearing about all the different ways that people have started to think about how to do this. Um, and there's a uh, you know, uh, really wide variety of approaches, uh, and there is no right answer, right? The, the question is, what's the right answer for you? And so kind of hearing this sort of range of different uh, approaches, I think, is a really useful thing uh, in terms of kind of uh, helping for yourself to sort of define your path uh, and to sort of test out some different possibilities. Uh, as I always say, it's always important to define a path and then change the path if that's not the path that was the right one as you kind of go through. And I'm sure we'll talk about that as, as we go along. Uh, the other thing that's sort of important to say is, um, you know, in, in years past, uh, these things uh, were not necessarily something that you would schedule months and months apart. In fact, uh, as I'm sure many of you have heard at different points when you've talked to anybody, the sort of older folks in your firms, uh, you know, I took it when it was still a paper and pencil uh, exam. And it, you had to do, at that time, it was, um, I think it was nine exams, if I remember correctly. Um, you had to do all nine in four straight days. Um, and it was, you did it, and if you didn't do it then, you waited an entire year to, to do it the next time. 
So life is a lot better now doing it on the computer. There's all these great advantages. You have this time you can schedule in any sort of pattern that you want. And that's a great thing. It really is a sort of a useful thing. The downside, though, is that it has sort of made all of these individual exams very precious. Uh, and so people have a tendency to say like, oh, wait, I don't know. I can't sign up for it. I got to wait until I'm ready. So, you know, in the old days, it was just like it came and you signed up and you did it and that was it. And you either passed or you didn't. Uh, and so there was something kind of uh, low-tech about that that was very useful. Uh, so part of what we're going to end up talking about, I'm sure, is taking away some of that preciousness, finding a system that works for you, and then just kind of rolling forward with it. So on that note... Yeah, I think maybe we can um, ask uh, Allison, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, can you uh, maybe introduce yourself and tell us a little bit briefly about uh, how you uh, went about getting licensed? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I'm Allison Conley, and I'm here in Chicago. I finished the exams a couple months ago and just recently received my license. Um, and yeah, thank you. So I spent about a year and a half going through everything. Um, and I used a variety of study material, including back, black spectacles, um, another online course, and um, actually one of the Black Spectacles courses at the AIA of Chicago. Um, awesome. Um, so that, that was kind of my study technique. Very good. Um, okay, I'll hand it over to Amanda. Amanda, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, where you sit with regard to licensure? Yeah, um, so I'm Amanda Smelson from ZGF Architects uh, here in Los Angeles, California. Um, and I received my license uh, back in October. Um, it took me about two years to complete um, all seven ARES plus the California supplemental exam. Um, and I, I used a, a variety of study materials. <laughs> Black Spectacles wasn't around um, for a, uh, the first portion of my um, chunk of uh, ARES and just recently found out about you guys. So <laughs> I wish that you guys were around <laughs> whenever I was studying. <laughs> so, so October, so you're like an old hat at this at this point. Like, I know, yeah, cool. right? <laughs> All right. Kyle, how about you? Can you tell us a few words about yourself and, uh, and your road to getting licensed? Sure. Um, I started taking the exams in 2006. Uh, these are the ARE exams and then finished them in 2010 and then registered for the CSC, which is the supplemental exam in California, and then got in the mix of job responsibilities and personal events that delayed me in taking it until about a week ago in which I passed it. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. It's uh, kind of annoying that it's life... Not something I advocate. Yeah, so life actually weirdly gets in the way, doesn't it? How, how annoying is that? Uh, something we can't plan <laughs> for, but uh, it does happen. Yeah. Okay, um, so we're going to just run through a few different questions uh, and see kind of what your response is. I'm sure a couple other questions will come up uh, on the uh, chat uh, stream there as well. But let's start with the first one. Um, let's talk about the exam timing schedule. How did you buy slash schedule the exams? You know, did you do it uh, once a month, a couple a year? Like, how how did you figure out that part? Uh, Why do we start with Allison? Okay, so for the exam timing, I spent 
quite a bit of time, um, maybe a couple weeks, just reading casually on the train or the bus to work. So on my commute, I would read a little bit uh, just to get familiar with the exam. And then I would do about two weeks cramming study material right before. So I never wanted to sign up for the exam when I wasn't ready. I wanted to be a little more comfortable with the material. So I would sign up about two weeks out and then I would take the exam and then um, once passing, then I would sign up for another one if life permitted and if something got in the way, then I took a little bit more time between. Cool, so so you essentially just kind of, uh, as you felt comfortable, signed up for the next exam. How, like roughly how, how often was that, do you think? Oh, um, maybe, six to eight weeks between the exams. Sure. Um, towards the end, I took them more quickly, maybe once a month, the last three, um, or even less than that. But in the beginning, I kind of started out slower. Yeah, because as you go along, you learn a lot about how to how to take the exam by by taking the exam, right? So that's it sort of speeds you up sure the process. Do. And they, they start to overlap. And so I think you can pick up pace once you're familiar with it. So I'm just going to write down six weeks, because even though it was more complicated than that, but we'll start with that. Uh, how about Amanda? What, uh, what was your schedule like? Um, I actually did a bit of the opposite of Allison. I, I, I scheduled the exam first and then started studying because otherwise I wouldn't spend the time or take the time to study at all. <laughs> so it was like a motivating factor for me um, to know that there's this deadline um, that I set for myself um, and there was a, a fee associated with rescheduling. So I, I tried to schedule that accordingly, um, knowing what was um, upcoming in, in work and life in general. Um, and one other thing that I did um, to keep it moving was right after I right after I completed an exam on exam day, once I got home, I would schedule the next exam. Wow. Um, without knowing if I had passed or failed the exam that I took that day. Um, so that helps also to keep things moving. That's a pretty, uh, that's pretty hard. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, right off the bat, <laughs> you see, like you see two different uh, ways of thinking about it. One is like, I'm just gonna keep, keep studying and then when the right moment comes, then I'll sign up. The other one is, no, I need to, I need to sign up in order to keep myself rolling. Uh, there's no right answer, right? It's yeah. really about sort of finding the, the thing that, uh, that, that works for you. Um, you know, just, uh, Amanda, what you just mentioned, because the, there's a fee if you reschedule, the first couple of years of this process, uh, they didn't have that fee, and it was kind of a disaster because uh, people, like, you know, young architects were constantly rescheduling. And so it was just like this huge nightmare that they couldn't keep, they, you know, they never knew how many you know, exams, uh, computers were gonna be taken because people were rescheduling constantly and then they put in that fee and it changed the whole thing. Uh, so it's, it really mm -hmm. is one of the kind of a motivating factor for it. How about Kyle, how about, uh, so yours is a little bit, a while ago, so it's a little different, but uh, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure, um, I think, did you say Kyle? Yes, Kyle. Or, okay, I thought I heard someone jump in. Um, I think what happened is when it was new to me, I took the first exam, just curious what this process was like, and then ended up passing it, and then maybe jumped into something else. This is back in 10 years ago, so it's hard for me to know what that something else was. And then around 2009, I just did, 
I think about five or six of them all in one year. So that must have been once every two months. I think at that time in my career, I just thought, well, I'm going to can do it now or never. Um, and that self-motivation helps me, you know, get them all done at that time. Uh, yeah, that there's something about, uh, you know, when you see the, the opportunity, you really got to jump in and just take it because, you know, life just, you just never know what's going to be coming up. You know, you have kids, you get married, you get, jobs change, like whatever it is. So it, it's certainly about kind of grabbing the moment when you can, certainly. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah. yeah. Any other thoughts about that? I was curious about the ARU change fee. Um, I don't remember this process and whether or not there was a fee when I, or if I was able to change my test date. Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, probably it came into being while you were doing it, uh, the, the fee. Because uh, I think in the first, when you were first doing it, probably wasn't there yet. So, you know, this is one of those things. Is one of the interesting things about somebody like uh, an organization like NCARB is that they, you know, they try to use these experiences to, to make the next thing better. And I think for the most part, they've been pretty good at that. Uh, and that's kind of all about like what the ARE 5 is about, is kind of taking all these lessons learned and trying to do it a little better. We can talk about that at the end. Um, but uh, uh, it's, you know, it's interesting that like, all of you are talking about like uh, setting, you know, a, a reasonable amount of time in between, not taking too long. I know there was the one thing for the specific California uh, supplemental element, but, um, you know, kind of doing it in the kind of somewhere between, you know, two weeks to six weeks, eight weeks, something like that, kind of keeping it rolling, uh, and then just different ways of approaching it about whether you're doing it uh, highly scheduled or just sort of when you feel comfortable. So I think that's sort of a good thing to notice. And you know, it's interesting. We have a, um, one of our panelists who I announced earlier, um, Ben Edwards from FFKR uh, Architects. Um, so he couldn't be with us tonight, so he shared his, uh, his answers with us. And um, uh, you guys should know, we at Black Spectacles and, and in partnership with AIA, we put together this thing we call the 7 and 7 Challenge. And it was actually modeled after um, uh, a young architect, Charlie Kletcho, the former president of the AIS and former student of Mike Newman, actually. Yes, former student um, of mine. Great guy. Um, he actually uh, took all seven exams in seven days uh, and he passed them all, believe it or not. Um, and so we sort of took that as an inspiration, put together a little promotion that we started uh, sharing with everybody uh, back in February, um, and it just basically concluded. And the basic idea was, you know, same thing. Um, you could have, you know, a couple months of free black spectacles if you actually committed to taking seven exams in seven days. Um, and then if you actually passed all seven, we would also give you a free black spectacle software tutorial membership, right? Um, so it turns out that, uh, uh, that Ben actually did it. He took them and he passed them. And he proved it by sending us his end card results. <laughs> so he really did do it. Uh, but he couldn't come with, be with us tonight. As I said, he did share his uh, uh, responses to a couple of the questions. So I want to I read his response here regarding uh, you know, what we're talking about here, regarding uh, you know, the scheduling. And he says, I didn't have any particular preference at the time I signed up for my exams, although I checked through some recommendations for various uh, sources. Um, he said he actually went ahead with the order that we suggested at Black Spectacles. By the way, we put together a little study guide and sort of recommended, you know, kind of order. So that's what he's referring to. Since he decided to follow that order for studying various materials, though we took PPP before SD due to testing center schedules and availability. He says he thought that worked out well for him. 
Uh, and he says, since I was most comfortable with the material for PPP, and I didn't have as much to worry about on the vignette portion and using uh, the software under actual test conditions. He says it was a nice start um, to get used to the format for the rest of the exams, which for him, you know, got tougher through SD, SPD, and peaked at CDS and structures before settling it down a bit for the last two. He says he thinks the best approach is to find the one exam section that you feel most comfortable with in study and in practice, and then take that one first and then go from there based on overlapping material and what you know best from personal experience, but don't leave the toughest for last. So you can handle that one in the middle at your test taking peak, which is sort of interesting, before you get tired of it all. Yeah, that's really good advice. Uh, and I've said very similar things over the years. Uh, uh, you know, there's so much to when you're taking these exams, it's just such a weird process. You know, you go to this strange place with these odd rules and you can't wear coats and you, you know, there's all these sort of odd things going on. And so it's nice if the first one you're doing can be just the most straightforward, the one you feel the most comfortable in. So you, you kind of get all the freaky stuff done, uh, kind of figured out when you're feeling comfortable. But then, yeah, jump into the hard ones because you might as well get those done uh, fairly, fairly quickly in the middle once you feel really comfortable in the process and then just kind of finish it out. So yeah, I, I think that's a great, uh, great set of advice. Yeah. Should we jump on? Yep. All right, next question. Uh, what holds you back from taking the exams faster? So we just mentioned Ben was doing the seven and seven, and you know the seven and seven is kind of nutty, right? Like you don't, it's sort of showy and it's kind of a, a sort of fun showy thing to do, but there's no reason why anybody has to do it in, in seven straight days. Um, but you know, at the same time, there's just no reason you don't necessarily have to take months between each exam either. Uh, so like, what do you think it is that, um, that sort of makes you take it in these sort of uh, slower paces. Um, the one, you know, how, do, how did you find that right, uh, the one that feels right, and you know, what is it that slows it down? Um, let's start with Kyle, why don't we start with you? All right, when I think back to when I first started taking the exam, I was working in a small office where we were pressed with very demanding deadlines. Um, and there was one particular project that really kept me very busy. I think it was really professional responsibilities at that time that really prevented me from diving in and taking at that time what is apparently just one per year. Um, it may have just been my introduction to the profession as well and not being entirely confident in all the subjects. Um, but uh, moving thereafter, I did prove myself and maybe it was under different work, work circumstances that I was able to take them more quickly. It just was a matter of finding that time in my life. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, there's a, there's a long tradition in architecture offices of, you know, especially when you're the, the, the new young gun in the, in the firm and, you know, like you're sitting there cranking out the work and everybody's counting on it and everybody's there till seven, eight o'clock at night, you know, whatever. Um, it's really hard to, Get any studying and if that's what you're doing you know so that's i mean trying to find the right balance between you know holding your your own in the office setting but also you know finding time to set aside and say i you know i need to do this this is part of my career i've got to get this thing done so trying to find that balance i think is really an interesting one and uh, you know everybody has trouble with that uh, yeah. it's interesting i actually yeah. was speaking with uh one of the other folks uh, just the other day who took the seven and seven kind of challenge, um, and she was saying that you know she's a she's a working mom, so she has kids. She's you know working a full time job, and she was sort of saying that for her, um, and I don't want to 
sound like I'm a huge advocate of the seven and seven thing, I could probably kind of take it or leave it. But it was interesting what she said because we heard somebody say the exact opposite. And her thing was, how could you not take seven exams in seven days when you have so much stuff going on in your life? Um, yeah. You just need to clear the decks for two months, study, and take them and see how you do. And you know, if, interesting. If you if you take away the, the fact that they cost money, yeah, right? Yeah. Which obviously they do cost yeah. money, so it's you, you can't take that away. But if you take that part of it away for a second, you know, like what's the worst that can happen? Uh, worst that can happen is you you fail a couple of them. You know, maybe you fail more than a couple, but you will definitely have learned in that process. So there's that's sort of what I was saying at the beginning is kind of take away the preciousness of this stuff, like. You know, nobody wants to spend money they don't need to spend, but also just it's it's okay to just dive in. Doesn't mean you have to do seven and seven, right? right? You know, maybe you do you know two a week or something, or like. But you want to feel comfortable, but it's okay also just to sort of test the waters and and see what you see what you find. Uh, how about Amanda? Any any thoughts about what uh, what would make it go faster for you? Well, I took my first three exams um, right before NCARB had this three-month hiatus where they had to reorganize everything. I'm not sure why they did it, but basically you couldn't take an exam or schedule an exam for three months back in 2014. So that held me back a little bit. And then on top of that, um, I had a, a health issue as well um, in that same time period. So that three months turned into a six-month window where I wasn't studying or taking any exams. You know, you know um, when you're an architect, you, you're my... not allowed to have health issues, you know. So you have to, you have to just work through <laughs> it. Yeah. So that, that was the main thing. And then, again, workload uh, to, to add to what Kyle um, mentioned. Um, it also... I, I think um, contributed to um, at least one test that I, I failed, unfortunately, <laughs> probably because I was working too much and not studying enough. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and this, the other thing to say, I, I kind of started with was, you know, you want to you want to have a plan. You know, you want to come up with how you're going to approach this and make a plan, but <clears throat> you also have to know that there's no way you would know in your plan that you were going to have a health issue. You know, so. Uh, mm-hmm. You also want to be ready to change the plan, right? You know, the plan is a, is to be a useful tool. So you, you want to be active in thinking and sort of planning it out, but then also be ready to do what you need to do to kind of make it roll forward. Um, Allison, any any other thoughts, or is sort of same same kind of thinking? I guess for me, it was mostly a mental game. I passed my first exam and signed up right away for my second, and I took PPP, and I failed it, and I really blamed it on thinking I needed more experience and practice, and I hadn't really realized that you can study for these exams and get all the material you need from the study material combined with your experience from school and from practice and everything, but something about it, I thought I needed more um, time working outside of grad school. And so it was kind of a mental game for me. I took a little bit of time to just keep working and life got in the way and I started renovating my condo and then it was summer and you have to take advantage of those summer days in Chicago. So um, I think once fall hit, I realized that if you really dig into the material, there's a lot to learn from it. And I started picking the pace up faster. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's really interesting. You know, it's just sort of uh, the the nature of how these things go. That idea of the um, 
the, the exam is really about ex having experience out in the world. And so it's much easier to take if you have a couple of years of experience. But, you know, nobody's experience is going to, you know, no normal architect, is their experience is going to be sort of evenly distributed between all these different topics. Uh, so no matter what, you're going to need to be sort of looking out for different guide, you know, different books and different uh, sources of materials uh, in order to be able to kind of fill in all those gaps. And uh, I think people often think that they need to be farther ahead in the process in order to take the exam than they really do need to. One of the things we were uh, chatting with the folks from NCARB a couple months ago um, about the upcoming changes and, uh, you know, one of the conversations we had with them was, um, you know, when the sort of, you know, older architects are always like, here's a tough question, you know, this will stump them. And their response is like, well, why would we want to stump them? You know, like, what's the point in that? You know, the, like, nobody's expecting a uh, young architect in the process to, to know everything. Like what they are expecting is that you know enough to be able to go out on your own and start and learn and know how to talk to engineers and you know uh, be able to generally know how to write the contracts and all that so you don't get into trouble and so nobody else gets into trouble, right? So uh, the expectation is you're not an expert. The expectation is that you have that sort of competent level. That's right. And my favorite thing that they say at NCARB is that we're just assessing uh, folks for minimum competence, yeah. uh, which which I think we are going to turn into a T-shirt. Yeah, we're totally point. turning that into. Everyone a who passes, um, uh, her tells us they pass. We're sending them <laughs> a minimally competent uh, T-shirt. Which I mean, it's, it's we're joking, but it's it's a useful uh, thing to hear, right? Because yeah, yeah. when you when you realize that, like you know, they, they are not testing whether you're an expert. They are not testing whether you're a fabulous designer. There, you know, it's none of those things. It's just, are you, you know, do you get the basics of it? Can you, could you have a reasonable conversation with an engineer? Could you understand how to set up a, a set of meetings and, and um, you know, with a client and like what do they need to know and when and, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, it's important to kind of understand that having experience is useful, but there's also other things that you can get through other sources. All right, let's jump on. Here's sort of a specific question, especially specific to the 4.0, um, which is, how did you handle the vignettes? Um, was there anything like, you know, the vignettes are sort of crazy and dopey and funny, uh, but also kind of frustrating. And uh, just curious if, if you have any uh, speci special thoughts about uh, how you kind of worked forward on the vignettes. How about Amanda, why don't we start with you on that? Sure. Um, so the vignettes, what I did to study for them is practice them a lot. <laughs> um, I would read the study guide, which was kind of helpful sometimes, but then I would practice the vignette, um, double check it with NCARB, and then I would go on online. There are several forums online um, that I would uh, comb through because uh, people would post um, their answers to vignettes and then other people would grade them. And so it's really helpful to see uh, all of the mistakes that everyone makes so that you know what not to do versus just you're, you're on your own in your own little um, box um, and just looking at NCARB's uh, yeah. website. Yeah, and, for and the program answers. itself, you really have to feel comfortable in the program using the program. Like one of the crazy things about the vignettes is that at least 50% of that, of the, of the grading is really, did you know how to use the program, which is one of the reasons why they're going to be gone uh, in 5.0. Um, uh, Allison, what do you, you think uh, about the vignettes? 
I really agree with Amanda. Uh, the online forums are really important. One of the most recent forums is the Google Plus community started by NCARB. They run that one and they've posted videos um, just, I would say, this is new in the past six months, but um, the Google Plus community has videos uploaded by NCARB on what to do and what not to do for each of the vignettes. And they also have a little video on the test material multiple choice. So with the vignettes, they'll say these are the factors that um, you would fail right away if you miss. These are uh, points that you would be downgraded for. And these are elements that you'd maybe get a point or two knocked off but aren't going to kill you. So uh, those are really important. Um, I found those useful and those didn't, the, I didn't have that available the entire time, just like the second half of studying. And then I think the other thing to note is that you're not going to get anything on the exam that's that different from what you're studying on the NCAR practice website. Right. So um, like don't try to be mind blown with like other ideas of what it could be because it won't be very different. Yeah, the, like schematic design is going to be a two-story building with uh, some double height space, you, you know, uh, you, you can, you can you know exactly what these things are going to be. They're going to be exactly what the what the uh, practices ones are, just slightly different, right? Um, yeah, mm -hmm. and the Google Plus thing literally just came out. Uh, I don't know, I forget months what ago. a couple yeah, months, months ago. ago. Yeah, um, and it's kind of fascinating because before they wouldn't they wouldn't uh, tell you any of that information. Like this was a huge deal that NCARB decided to put this out. Um, because they would not give any of that away before. So um, it's kind of interesting. Kyle, any other thoughts? And I oh, think yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say one more thing on that note, that a lot, since NCARB had never directly put anything out before, a lot of the previous forums and blogs would speculate on, oh, we've heard that NCARB, um, you know, uh, takes a discount off your um, score for, X, Y, and Z, and now NCARB says it specifically, so I would actually suggest using the other forums less because it's secondhand information. Yeah, when we were, yeah. when we met with them, that's one of the things that they sort of said is that they were dealing with so much misinformation that was out there sort of in the world, whether it's on a forum or even in some exam prep materials, that that was a, almost, that was a really big problem. And so that's actually one of the reasons why they put this together and they, why they're leading it. Yeah, yeah, because... Uh, like I say, it's a it's a about face from their previous yeah, stance, yeah. and that about face was really because of exactly that issue that there was just so much uh, false information out there. Um, yeah, um, Kyle, any other thoughts? Sure, I think uh, when I was thinking about these vignettes, I did study the online forums where I did see examples as other people were speaking about. But something I wanted to mention when I was taking the exam is I would try to do it as fast as possible. I think we had maybe 30 minutes or something to do it, and I would really try and do it in 10 to 12 minutes and just get something on there as quickly as possible, not seek the perfect answer. And then if I did have time left over, I'd spend that time trying to improve it. Um, I think often in these exams, it's a real challenge to um, just get the basics right and not you know, try and do the perfect thing. Yeah, it's really not about design. Uh, and so just, Getting a good idea, getting it down, moving on, you know, like, and then that gives you plenty of time to check the details later. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, 
Did you leverage any sort of uh, resources, any uh, groups or resources uh, to help you prepare? Like, you know, was there any, uh, any, uh, uh, did you make a study group? Uh, were there resources that you found? You know, how'd you, how'd you roll forward? Um, let's, uh, let's start with Allison. I didn't have a group in particular. Um, one of my good friends and I started at the same time and pushed each other and finished within a few months of each other. So that was great. And I think it's really spurred a lot of other people in the office to be studying. And we've had quite a few paths lately as well. So um, that group is increasing in size. Um, other than that, I used individual study resources. Great. Um, yeah, I think that working with a friend is really uh, a meaningful thing because you suddenly feel like, oh, you know, I, I have to, I have to be able to say I did something, right? So yeah, it kind of keeps you rolling uh, in those times when you're not necessarily uh, uh, wanting to keep rolling. I remember when I was uh, studying. I'm starting to sound like an old man now yeah, when I say that. You but, sound like me. Um, yeah, I had a, uh, I had a friend who was, he was just into studying. He was, he was preparing to go to like business school, and then my fiance at the time um, had grade, had had papers to grade, and so like we went to the library, you know, Monday through Thursday yeah. while I was preparing for these exams. So like you're right to have a friend or two or whatever. Yeah, these are the kinds awesome. of things you're looking for, right? You're looking for these these little systems that just kind of keep you honest, to keep you rolling forward, uh, and I, th I think that's a great example. Um, Kyle, what 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 do you think about like what what kind of did you have a group? Did you have any resources? No, but I wish I did. I think the key to really pushing anything along is peer pressure, either that's you know face to face or you know relationships that you have online with other people. But I find in my studying and anything else in my life, it's always been peer pressure. Um, I think that's something that we can harness and not necessarily see it as a negative thing. Yeah, like just think of it as a positive. Uh, so, uh, Amanda, did, uh, right, Amanda? Yeah, um, so for me, there weren't any really groups or resources around me. Um, and so I wanted that. And so I, I created a few um, resources at the the previous firm I was at whenever I, I passed most of my exams. Um, so I started a study group um, and I made sure that the firm ordered all of the most recent study guides since there was a group of us that um, were planning on taking all of the exams within the next few years. Um, so because they had like a, a study material from the early 2000s, it was like, it was not relevant to the ARE 4.0 format anymore. So it was, yeah, I just had to ask for it. And um, they were more than willing to support me and all the others that were on that same path. Um, so that's, that's one of my um, rec recommendations is to have others who are getting started to ask um, your firm if there are resources, and if there aren't, then um, get something started. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Ask for it is such a big thing, because most of the time you just start the process and you don't, like, you know, you just start the process. You don't know what you, you know, it's like, 
oh wait, I can ask for it. You know, yeah, talk to your talk to your firm, see what they've got. Uh, you know, maybe if they don't have anything good or they're not willing to help, maybe get your friend to talk to their firm and get them to share it with you. You know, like just push out there because it's is bound to be uh, uh, stuff around available for you. And you know, we have um, this was one of the questions that we asked Ben. Uh, from FFKR Architects, and he said uh, that the Black Spectacle study materials were really well organized, so he, he used that as, as his basis for studying, and also used other resources and materials to reinforce what, um, what, what, what was being covered there. And then he says, I have to give props to where I work. FFKR Architects has an in-house library of resources, including ARE exam study materials, which he was able to take advantage of, in addition to supporting professional growth for interns and professionals, with lunch workshops and meetings. He says he enjoyed uh, using flashcards to review the vocabulary and concepts during his daily commute on the bus, I remember that, um, and then reading through history and other uh, resources, and was able to go through several practice exams, identifying uh, where he most needed to study and practice. And then like you guys, he said he also took advantage of NCARB software to practice all the vignettes, putting in you know an average, he says, half an hour, uh, or more daily for over a month. So he was somewhat comfortable and familiar with the graphics software, and he reviewed uh, the Google Plus webpage for questions and answers and tips. Uh, and like you said, Amanda, um, he said it helped tremendously with getting comfortable with completing the vignettes uh, quickly, so he had time to check his solutions to make tweaks to, to meet the requirements. So he had a, he sort of answered both of the last questions, I suppose. Yeah, cool. That's, uh, that's a great, yep. great run of uh, information, I think. When and where do you make time to study? Uh, so this is kind of getting down to the nitty gritty. Like, all right, you're making a plan. Like, did it work doing it again on the commute? Does that, does that work? Or did you always leave work at six or five or something so you'd have some time at night? Like, how, how'd you make it work? Uh, how about Kyle, how don't we start with you? Do, you? do you remember, it was long ago at this point, but what, what, what worked for you in terms of when you, when you found the time to study? Yeah, if it's okay, I would like to just talk about my most recent experience studying for the CSC, where it was really just finding the time to do it. And what was most successful for me was going to bed at 9.45 every night. That meant I could wake up at 5.30 every morning while rested, where I found I was most successful in retaining information at that time of day. Uh, in my lifestyle as it is, I get home from work, I'm exhausted, I need to relax, my head is not retaining information, and it's not a good time for me to study, but there's really going to bed early every night that made me find the time to get that studying done. And there's something kind of amazing by getting up at 5.30, studying for a couple of hours, it's 7.30, you take a shower, you go to work, um, like you've already got, you've, like the day is already successful. Uh, it's very empowering uh, if you can if you can make yourself do that. And I just want to mention along similar lines. So one of the other um, folks who we interviewed as a result of the seven and seven campaign, um, she didn't fare as well as she had hoped on on most of the exams. And it was interesting as we were talking, she was telling me that the way she would study um, day after day after day, and then she was taking seven exams consecutively. So what she said she would do is she would take the exam, come home and then she would stay up until one o'clock in the morning studying, go to bed, wake up at 5.30, <laughs> study for an hour or two more, and then go take the exam. And she said she kind of felt like um, a number of the mistakes that she made when she looks back, she felt like, gee, those were kind of dummy mistakes. Uh, I shouldn't have made those mistakes. And as we were talking about it, um, she sort of attributed it to, as you just said, um, yeah. you know, not, not getting enough sleep, which sounds kind of simple, but 
Um, it's yeah, and everybody, you have to figure that out for yourself, right? What What's enough sleep for you? Uh, but yeah, it, so kind of just being conscious and making sort of a, a serious choice about it. Allison, how about you? Uh, like, where'd you, when and how did you find time to study? Like, what was your process? Well, I agree with Kyle that it's really hard to keep yourself up late at night studying and retain all the information, but I'm not an early bird either. So um, I would study in the morning on my commute, and then when it was time to cram maybe a week or two before the exams, I would study anywhere. I would study during lunch, um, maybe a coffee shop or at home after work in the evenings, and then i just spend the entire weekend studying. It didn't really matter where at that point, as long as I had the book or the resource in my hand. Yeah, and was there a difference in what you did like on a commute compared to what you did on the weekends? Um, or was it all kind of yeah, the same? Yeah, actually, I, the last three exams, I bought a tablet and that was like probably the best thing I did for studying. I could read all my resources, highlight them, flip back and forth. Probably seems old fashioned to have just bought a tablet recently, but um, it was awesome. It really changed everything for me and I could access, you know, look things up on the internet right there. Um, and we have most of our books in the office digitally as PDFs. And if some of them aren't PDFs, we, can, we have someone here who can like scan it. So I had everything digitally and that really did change my study habits towards the end, which I'd recommend. Yeah, that sounds like a like a great idea. I mean, it's really reaching into about 2014 there to be you know get your tablet. But okay, we'll we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I think having all that in one spot is really useful useful thing. Amanda, what about you? Uh, like, how'd you find time? Like, you know, what 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 did what worked and what didn't for you? Um. Well, I I just where I found time, just like um, the others. So usually I would study for 30 minutes to an hour in the morning before work. Um, I would make sure I would get up enough with enough time and eat my breakfast while reading a chapter or two. Um, and then I would study again after getting home from work, maybe an hour or so worth, and then do a, a large chunk of studying on the weekends. And um, I did most everything analog, but sometimes um, early on, whenever I was studying for the first few tests, I had a long commute. And so I found um, some audio files of a lecture series on um, the contracts and um, the, the legal requirements. Um, so that really helped to be able to study while I was driving um, because I, I, otherwise you can't, read and drive, obviously, um, or I don't yeah, recommend not, it. We're, we're, we're definitely not officially so. recommending that, yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, finding some some audio uh, resources was really beneficial. And, um, and then I would also, on the weekends, I would often go, um, go outside, go to a park, go um, camping was actually a really great way of getting away um, but bringing my study materials and then there's not much you can do camping <laughs> like there's you can't like uh, get sidetracked by Facebook or um, other, other things like that on, on the internet so Just bears, I, I, I went yeah right <laughs> 
So that was a great way for me to focus um, if I felt like I was getting sidetracked and, and not able to um, stay on track. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, everybody will have their version of camping. Like, it's kind of funny to hear you say <laughs> camping. Um, but, you know, it might be, as Mark said, going to the library or it might be, uh, you know, um, uh, I remember when I had, was doing a similar kind of thing, it wasn't this specific thing, but I was doing a similar sort of thing. I uh, went to my in-laws have a old farmhouse and I just took over the farmhouse for a week and laid all my books out on the giant farmhouse table and you know, just kind of took it over. And I was away from everything, you know, the phone barely worked out there, all of that. So yeah, like what's, what's your version of camping, right? That's the, I think the question that people should, should take from that. I remember folks in, at least in mm -hmm. college who during finals week, they would rent a hotel room yeah. and they would just, just to kind of detach and put themselves in like a different mindset uh, to help them focus. There's so, a great scene yeah. in the film Paper Chase from the 70s that has a, a fabulous scene about that. There you go. Uh, all right, I think that was really great. Uh, based on your experience, uh, how would you recommend that firms handle licensure? So we've started t mentioning a couple of these things already, but um, uh, kind of curious, you know, what you think about like, you know, you guys are going to be the you know the, the leaders of the firms in the next few years. So okay, what do you think should be happening, and what should we be telling people? Um, how about uh, but let's see, Allison. What, let's start with you on this one. I think in my experience, it's important for young. Um, young people to hear that you shouldn't put it off. I think there's a generation ahead of mine in the office who has put it off and um, they may only be a few years um, more experienced, but they didn't make it a priority early in their career and now they have more things in life to juggle. And um, I think definitely firms should provide as many resources as they're able and that wasn't uh, what I needed. We had a lot of resources here in the office. Um, Smithgill has been great about providing resources and making sure we have everything we need. I think it was um, a few young people and myself who really decided to be proactive about it ourselves and just decide we'd start. So that was, I think, what was most important for us. You know, I, I think one of the things you'll find is if you start talking to the people who are running the firms, uh, you, you know, they're super excited by having you get licensed. Like they, there's no advantage to them to not have you get licensed. They just have other things on their mind. Uh, and so, you know, if you say to them, hey, we don't have any resources here, you really got to get some resources for us so that we can, we can make this happen. Their response will probably be like, oh yeah, hey, that, that's a good idea. Um, because like, you know, who thinks of it? You know, once if you're 15, 20 years past that, like you just don't, just doesn't come up in your mind. Uh, so that's part of what we mentioned before of you gotta ask for it, you gotta make it happen. Uh, how about uh, Kyle, any thoughts about that? Hmm. Um, I was just simply thinking that a good motivation would be if firms reimbursed for tests when they're passed. Um, to me it was a small measure of support, but um, it meant that the firm was invested in education or the further development of its employees and I'd like to think that it runs both ways that when you do get this research done like you're better for it um, so it's a win-win there's, there's absolutely no question that uh, like one of one of the things that 
you know, I end up talking about, Mark and I both end up talking to people all the time who are in the process or past or whatever. And one of the things that universally everybody always says is, you know, this is a crazy exam. It really made me frustrated. I was really annoyed, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I'm a better architect now that I've studied for this. Um, and, you know, there's, I think what you're saying, Kyle, is that there's a, there's a moment there for the firms to realize, you know, the fact that, that our folks are doing this is actually making them better for us, you know, as a firm. Uh, and so finding ways to, to help that in a process, either by paying for, uh, you know, reimbursing for, for passing or, uh, you know, finding good resources or uh, setting up lunch and learns with uh, the experienced uh, contractors and lawyers and people who they work with or something. Like there's lots of ways that the firms, I think, could be helping out. And uh, I think if you ask for it, you can, you can make it happen. Amanda, anything you want to throw in there? Um, yeah, I would just say that the firm leader should be encouraging and speak out to all employees, especially, um, I would say if, if you're a new hire, um, like out of school or um, a few years out, um, to say, hey, we encourage you to get licensed. Here's all the resources for um, studying to, to pass the exams. Here are the benefits for once you do become licensed. Um, here's the doors that open um, once you're licensed. So things like that to, to encourage, motivate, and incentivize um, uh, the intern architects out there. Yeah, absolutely. That's really great. Um, so, all right, you all heard that. You're, you're the leaders of the of the architectural word, world in the coming years, so make it happen. Uh, but also make it happen for yourself right, right now. That's right. All right. Uh, any, one of the things that's come up recently, um, all states are a little different. There's, you know, there's a lot of states that are sort of similar these days, but all states are slightly different. Um, any uh, thoughts about the recent change where they've, uh, a lot of the states are now allowing people to take the exam right out of school? So you graduate, you can start taking it right away. In fact, I think in some places you can even start uh, before you've uh, actually graduated. Um, there's sort of pluses and minuses to that, I think, and uh, I'm just kind of curious if any of you, uh, any of you have any thoughts about it. Um, Allison, any uh, any thoughts from your end? I think it's great. During school, you're in the mode to study. You have the mindset for it. Um, you're used to learning in that capacity, and then you can keep studying, like using that same curiosity to have the momentum into studying for the exams. Uh, we had an intern here um just he just finished a few months ago but he had already taken multiple exams and he's still in school so i know that it's really changing the way the whole examination process is working but i think it's great i started reading about the exams right after graduation didn't start immediately after um but i started fairly quickly after graduation i'm glad i did yeah um it's, you know, it's interesting kind of depending on what the exam is really uh, kind of asking you. I think it's sort of this interesting thing is like it might as well get rolling on it. Uh, if there's no big reason to put it off, you, know, you might, as well, might as well start. Um, Amanda, any thoughts from you? Yeah, I think it's a, a good thing, honestly. Um, it may be harder in some ways because you don't have the uh, real life experience um, 
for for certain things, but at the same time, it's easier because uh, certain exams like structures, um, I had to relearn a lot of it because I was uh, five, six years out of school and forgot most everything that um, that I needed to know to pass that exam, and that's one that I failed um, probably because of that gap. Um, so that's something that I think it's a great great reason to, to encourage those that are recent graduates to go ahead and start taking the, t- the test. Yeah. Kyle, any thoughts? Yes, I would think if the sooner you get this done, if it could all be done during school, that'd be the best. If it could be done within three months after school, you know, that'd be great as well. Um, I think most of this stuff for the ARES, you get so much exposure to in school and it wouldn't take much to, you know, take the leap to that extra knowledge to take the exams. Um, so it's encouraging to hear that people are taking that on. Yeah, the, the one thing I will say um, is I think in the changeover from 4.0 to 5.0, I think uh, as was mentioned, I think it was Amanda who mentioned uh, structures. Um, I think in 4.0, there's a, it's, it's really pretty straightforward because the information, because the exams are siloed, um, that it's sort of reasonable that you can say, all right, I'm just going to study structures for a while and I just passed my structures class in school and I'm all primed for it and I'm ready to go and I just go take it. Um, uh, and similar things with, you know, I think you can do similar things with some of the contracts from a professional practice class and, uh, you know, those kinds of issues. I, under 5.0, it's going to be interesting to see whether that's as true because I think 5.0 is sort of expecting a certain level, uh, not a huge amount, but some experience. Like it's it's more uh, things are, you know, there's not a structures exam. There's going to be structures questions on multiple exams. And so you kind of have to know where it fits. And it's more about the where it fits than it is about the answer to the thing. So this may be different for 4.0 people than it is for 5.0. But there's something I think kind of great about the fact, especially with 4.0, but that you could certainly get the ones done that you feel comfortable with. Uh, and, you know, you got some time to study for one, well, study for it and get it done. You know, um, there's no, uh, as Kyle was saying, there's no advantage in waiting if, if you're not getting any, any benefit out of that. Um, so, yeah, great. Um, and AXP is the, you know, what was called IDP or is currently called IDP until like two days from now. Um, and... You know, everybody hates IDP, but I'll tell you the positive thing about IDP is that it gives young architects a tool to be able to say to a, to a uh, you know, somebody, say to their boss, look, I, I just can't be doing reflected ceiling plans uh, anymore. I've done, you know, 300 hours of them. I have to have experience in order to get my AXP numbers to work. I have to have experience talking to clients. I have to have experience... Uh, you know, going to job sites, I have to. And so there's something kind of, I think, really great about that. But, you know, it is a, a hassle. Um, and uh, anybody have any thoughts about the AXP? Anything you want to say about it? IDP? Jump in, anybody? Um, IDP, yeah, sure. I don't recognize AXP. It's, that it's the literally term the new IDP? term. It actually hasn't changed until next week. Um, becomes AXP. But yeah, IDP. Yes. Um, in my uh, last uh, employer, I saw a young architect definitely using that as a tool to communicate to the principals in the firm that, yes, I need experience in how you formulate this contract. And I thought they were, that was a great tool for them uh, to get that experience. Um, so, yeah, I 
glad to see that. Yeah, and I think what that one of the things that's saying is use it. You know, use it as a tool. Don't you know? It, it's there for your use. Um, so, you know, make it happen. Get the experience you want to get. And relating to <clears throat> the ARE five uh, exam, which is coming up, the big. You know, this naming change here is one thing, but you know, they're they're reorganizing the intern development program so that each section of AXP aligns with um, specific exams. So there's six exams and there's six sections of the uh, the AXP. And so um, one thing we've sort of talked about is how you can sort of use this not only as a tool to get that experience, but as a to, as a tool to study, because um, you can then focus on sort of one part of uh, sort of one exam, go get your experience there, use your study resources, and then take that exam. Um, yeah, I mean, so it, it'll never work perfectly, right? Because when you're working in a firm, you gotta work on the things you gotta work on, but you can certainly focus, you know, use it as a tool, explain to them what you're doing. Uh, they'll probably be into it and they can kind of, you know, fashion your, your work experience to kind of fit to your needs for AXP, but then that is helpful, uh, potentially, on taking the exam. Um, I'm going to jump on to the next one, I think, if that's all right with everybody. Uh, what is your advice for folks uh, preparing to take the exams? Um, so we've talked a lot about different things, but uh, maybe we can just sort of get a, sort of a, a couple of specific thoughts from you about, uh, you know, what's the advice that you would give to somebody uh, who's just, just starting off in the process? Uh, Allison, why don't, we, why don't we start with you? See, I think... I think talking to your peers about um, their experiences, so actually this webinar is quite on point for that, um, to have knowledge about what the process is like and um, if you fail one, pick up and keep going right away. Uh, that's actually uh, the one thing I would have done differently. I failed my second exam, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, the friend who I, my buddy in the process, she picked up right away and um, retook the one we actually both failed. And um, she finished a few months faster than I did. And I shouldn't have let it get to me so much. It was more of a mental thing for me. But just keep going. Um, another thing that boosted my confidence for it and that I think um, anyone eligible should apply for is I received the AIA um, Jason Pettigrew Memorial Scholarship. So. Um, you can apply if you're eligible taking the exams and um, they base it on like community and professional involvement and development and they paid for, it was a scholarship, they paid the money for all the exams and then I got a set of Kaplan material that was current and that was great. I had everything at my, resource, at my fingertips and um, didn't really have to think about as hard about you know, writing that or paying for that next exam. Um, so that kind of was a boost of confidence for me, but just start early. That's the best advice. Yeah, and the scholarship me. and everything, that's, that sounds great. That uh, must have been really uh, fabulous to get. But there's other things like that, right? I mean, whether it's that scholarship or, um, there, you, you know, you might be able to uh, find something similar at a local level uh, in the AA offices or uh, some of the big firms uh, probably do similar things. So, um, I, you know, I think, again, it's sort of, if you don't ask, you won't know. Uh, and I, I think talking to people as well is a big deal. Like, you, you'll find, I think, that, uh, you know, if you, somebody in your firm that you're working with and they've got, 
you know, 12 or 15 years of experience, if you just say to them, uh, you know, hey, I'm about, to, you know, I'm about to embark on this process of uh, taking the exam, um, you know, what do you think? My guess is they, their entire relationship with you will change and they'll be looking for ways to support you and help you. Uh, and, you know, if you don't ask, it won't happen. And, and just sort of talking to people and getting the sort of feel and the vibe of what's going on, I think, is, uh, is really a useful thing. Amanda, any thoughts from you about uh, advice? Um, just to, to mirror what both you and Allison have already said, um, ask for help um, and just let people know that you are studying for the tests. Um, I was on the a job site one day with my with my boss, and I just mentioned um, to him that I needed to to leave to uh, go study for structures. So I was taking the test the next day, and he's like, "Oh my goodness, why are you here?" <laughs> like, it's just it's good to be open about it because um, then more doors will will potentially open for you um, to to get more resources, more advice. Um, or just support. Yeah, and everybody has to find the right thing for them, right? Um, you know, some people will feel like they, they don't want their boss to know that they're taking an exam tomorrow because they don't want to be asked whether they passed or, you know, like some people will feel uncomfortable with that, but other people won't, right? So find, figure out what works for you. But also telling people that you yeah. need time to study, you know, you can do that without saying, uh, oh, and I've uh, you know, I passed three and I failed two, and I like you don't have to give them all the information, right? You, they you just need to give them the information that's going to help them to help you get through the process. Although, if you're not successful ever, <laughs> sooner or <laughs> later, hopefully, asking, yeah, yeah, I gotta yeah. I gotta leave early because I gotta study. You'll be successful. <laughs> don't worry, it's all good. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts about uh, advice for for folks? Yes, um, it's a big undertaking, but I think something that helped me out was to uh, break it down into smaller tasks. Yeah, that was concentrating on individual ARE or even concentrating on a single chapter in a book. Um, you don't have to learn all the information at first take. It's, some, it's a process and scheduling time, maybe an hour each day to read one chapter or 10 pages. It's going to be a slow or potentially slow process, but you're going to make forward progress no matter what. So um, yeah, I, I think that's really that was something that helped me, and I think helps another. Yeah, that's a great you know, piece of advice. Big project because uh, I think one of the things that people freak out about is that they look at this giant thing in front of them and like, oh my god, and there's seven exams, or you know, there's this huge array of things. But you know, when you get down to it, it's like, yeah, it's it's some chapters, it's some things, and there you go. You know, so break it down. Make it simple for yourself. Uh, sort of makes it so you can go roll through it pretty fast. So Ben here, he says, <clears throat> he said, I would say, commit to it and really put in the time to make sure you know what is being covered in the exam, the basics and the principles. Don't just read or listen to the material. Um, try to actively absorb it. And even if you already use the information routinely, practice the equations in vignette software, review terms and vocabulary with flashcards write some notes, et cetera. And then he says, you know, kind of get into a daily routine where it becomes normal to read that book for a few minutes or to go on the, uh, the computer to practice the vignettes or look through the flashcards and sort of push yourself to learn more than just what you see in the study guides. And I have to say, just when I was doing this, that was a thing for me and a couple of you said that too. Sort of that daily routine um, and along similar lines, you know, letting everybody know you're doing this. When, you're, when you do that, again, everyone, be, it, it's weird, like, 
the deck's kind of clear and everyone sort of kind of gets out of your way, gives you space to do it, and then you're in this daily routine and just kind of, it all kind of keeps, keeps roll. He also said um, he also lets himself take breaks or do something physical so he didn't burn out. So whether that's playing with your family or doing some other stuff, um, just sort of take that time, you know, take a day off uh, weekly to do something different and just let what you've been studying and reviewing kind of percolate through your mind. And when things are slow, sort of mentally review and check what you can remember or just learn without looking at any of your study materials. And you'll sort of be able to identify what you need to review or study later on. Yeah, I, I, so I underlined the don't just read it because um, I, I, think, I think that's a huge thing. Uh, you know, one of the things, um, uh, you know, like I, I teach a professional practice class, for example, and I'll have people read a contract and they'll read an entire B101 or something, and then like right after they read it, I'll ask them a couple of questions, and they won't be able to answer any of the questions. And the reason for that is because it's a contract, and it's really boring, and like it's written like a lawyer would write something. And you know, so if you're just reading it, that's actually not, like you're just wasting your time. I mean, not wasting your time, but you're potentially wasting your time. So what you're looking for is, I need a context for how this information needs to fit. And once I understand that context, then I can read it and then I can you know, understand while I'm reading it, it'll make more sense to me, right? Same would go true with all, lots of other uh, different things. And one of the things that I recommend all the time is, like when you're, when you're doing a practice exam or, or where you're reading something out of a, a book or listening to one of our lectures or anything like that, and some piece of information is said, the, the way to think about it is not, oh, there's some piece of information that I now know. The, thing, the way to think about it is, uh, okay, uh, how could this information be asked of me? Uh, so you know, what's, what's the point behind knowing this information? Um, so for example, uh, you know, if somebody uh, is talking about orientation and how the sun moves through the sky, it's like, well, okay, that has physical architectural implications potentially about overhangs and vertical uh, shading and things like that. But it also has implications onto landscaping. It also has implications, like when you, when you talk about the one thing, you always wanna be analyzing it in your own head about, okay, so how would they ask me a question about this? And you know, the question about orientation might be, well, where should the patio go? Right? And you have to understand that it doesn't want to be on the north side because it's not going to get any sunlight on the north side. Right? So you want to always be thinking about not just reading the material, but trying to sort of force yourself to, to analyze it and to think about it beyond just how it's been written. So I recommend writing in the books and taking notes and you know, asking yourself questions and breaking down the other questions. It takes a little bit longer, but you'll feel like you have a much better handle on the information. All right, shall we move on to the next one? All right. Yeah. Uh, so what are your suggestions for keeping your morale up during the process? I think this is a kind of key question here. Uh, let's see, who should we start with? How about Amanda? What uh, would you do to keep your morale going during this process? Well, I would go to this popsicle shop. Excellent. <laughs> Um, after each exam, because um, it was on my way home from the uh, the place where the exams were held, um, and so I would I would it would I would always take the test on a Saturday also, so that I would have the rest of the day to relax 
um, and not have to worry about any work or anything the rest of the weekend. Um, and then once I got home, I would schedule the next exam um, and then not worry about it, not study for it for a whole week um, and then start back into it um, a week later. So giving yourself one week so, off uh, yes. in between just so you can kind of get recharge the batteries, get a little break, catch up with your friends, that kind of thing? Yeah. Excellent. Um, Kyle, what do you, how about you? Uh, what do you think about keeping your morale going, morale up uh, in, this, uh, in this process? Something that really helped me was to intermix my studying with just exercise, which is something that really helped me clear my head and uh, get ready for the next study session. So uh, my early mornings were one time spent studying the next morning uh, swimming and being able to keep to that schedule really helped me. Yeah. And, you know, for some people, it might not be exercise. I think exercise is a great answer, but um, some people it might be, uh, you know, that they it's really important for them to cook dinner every night or something, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. create the routine that's actually going to be helpful for you, not uh, where you're kind of, oh, I got to keep studying. I got to keep studying. I got to keep studying. You know, like if you do that, you're just going to burn yourself out and it's not going to work. So what's the one that works for you? And for Kyle, it was clearly exercise, but for somebody else, it might be, you know, some other, uh, other thing along those lines. I think that's really, really key. Uh, Allison? I agree with both of the ideas up there. I don't have a very rigid routine, but um, I'd say yoga definitely calms me down before and um, have some cocktails afterwards <laughs> to celebrate. So yoga and cocktails. I think that's, that's a, there's a, there's a yeah. study group name right there, yoga and cocktails. <laughs> um, yeah, so you know, w like one of the things that seems really important to me is you know, make a plan like, okay, I'm gonna use these books, you know, on my commute, and I'm gonna use these videos and this sort of thing, and, you know, in the evenings or on weekends, right? So you kind of literally draw out a plan, like have a, have a game plan, but also in that plan, put in the time to exercise or put in the time to yoga or put in time to sort of take a break, you know, like maybe you say, all right, I'm gonna work, uh, you know, on Saturdays, but not on Sundays because I really like football or I'm going to, you know, do evenings on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, but I'm going to leave the Tuesday, Thursday. So I have time to, to meet with my friends or my, my spouse or something, you know, like build the, the breaks into the, your plan so that you're not stressing out. Right. You can you can find a way to make this work uh, without having it be. Uh, all or nothing, right? Uh, you can make it. You can make it a nice balance. I did have uh, a couple of comments here from Ben. I think maybe he's saying here, um, what worked for me uh, is that you know he kind of eased into the routine over a couple of weeks, so it wasn't an, an immediate big change. Um, but then he kind of kept at it bit by bit, adding more materials and resources um, as he was you know kind of using them and reviewing them. Um, what he had already knew or just studied, and then he'd take practice exams regularly from different sources so he could sort of see his you know, improvement as a percentage of answers he was able to get correct each time, so that was kind of motivational to him. Um, and then he said he set out a calendar um, for what he was planning to study, so he had daily goals and weekly goals, and so if he missed a daily goal, he didn't let it get him down since he'd counted as a day off uh, for the week or catch up next day and counted as progress for the week. 
Um, he said it did get difficult when his family, you know, got you know got sick at a couple of stages, which sort of threw off. Um, you know, his original schedule, but he, since he had planned some extra time between studying and the exams, he was able to kind of adjust around those sick times and sort of keep on track as best, you know, as he could, so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really is, you know, I recommend always actually literally taking a second just writing out your plan, just like, even if it's just a quick sketch, because I think there's something about putting pen to paper that forces your hand a little bit to really think it through. Um, everything works in your head. It's like dreams. You know, dreams always make sense uh, until you start explaining it to somebody else, right? Uh, and then once you explain it to somebody else, it doesn't make any sense that you were in, you know, the Bahamas and then you turned around and you were on a ski slope, right? That doesn't, you know. Uh, but in this case, putting it down pen to paper sort of forces your hand. You have to take it seriously. Well, how many hours would that be if I only did two hours in Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you know? Uh, and it kind of forces that uh, discussion with yourself. Um, but, you know, like Ben was saying, uh, that Mark was telling us, was, you know, sometimes that plan, even if it's written, doesn't work, you know, or something happens, uh, somebody got sick, or you got sick, or that big project that's really a great project, you want to be the lead on it, and, you know, so, all right, you know, change the plan. But at least you now know what you're changing from, and you understand the the loss by doing that right it sort of it, it clarifies everything so so that's my big suggestion is just you know take a piece of paper and write it out so we have um we've had a, a few questions we've been able to answer throughout the, the session and we're running short on time here so i'm gonna i'm gonna p pitch out one question here for the group um, and see if anybody can relate it relates to structural systems um, and I can totally relate to his, his question here from Mike. He says, I've got one exam left, structural systems, which I'm very worried about. Did anyone do anything special in preparation for this exam? Um, I assume this is a pretty common, uh, so Mike, number one, I, I think you're in a pretty kind of conventional place where an architect is, is sort of concerned about the structures exam. Um, but guys, uh, anyone uh, have anything special that they did in preparation for that exam? I took the Thaddeus course online, and I wouldn't have done it any other way. It was worth the money for the peace of mind um, that my office didn't reimburse me for because it was um, it's like an individual exam that you sign up and pay, and you have a set number of uh, days that you can do all of the coursework online at your own pace. And he goes over the concepts very thoroughly. I didn't use any other resources other than his resources and um, study the seismic and wind um, FEMA papers. There's, um, those are really important too, but other than that and Thaddeus, I didn't study anything else. I felt very confident and I passed. And I think everyone else I know who's done that has passed as yeah, well. Yeah, Thaddeus stuff is really great. He does a great job at it. Um, uh, I, my guess is is that it's probably more in depth than is really necessary, um, but the big advantage, as you say, is uh, you feel incredibly confident, and there's nothing quite like having confidence going into an exam. And I would agree with Allison as well. Um, I failed structures because I relied on um, the two study books that are out there and just got thoroughly confused. Like I spent months studying these books and um, kept taking the practice 
practice tests and failing them. And then I took the test <laughs> um, anyway, and that didn't work. So then, yeah, I found Thaddeus online and what it just made everything so much clearer. Um, it was, yeah, it, it's a great course. I highly recommend it as well. You know, one of the things I've found over the years um, is, uh, you know, I have some very good friends that uh, teach structures in school. Um, and uh, so we're all friends here. Don't tell any of them that I said this. Um, but uh, I think there's a big problem with how we've been teaching this stuff. Um, because, you know, there's nothing inherently uh, complicated about structures. You know, structures really, uh, and I've, I've said this before in some of our other um, sessions, um, you know, like, you know, we all essentially understand structures. Like, you understand how a beam works. You know, you understand that a tall a beam with depth is going to be stiffer than a very shallow beam. You, you know, you understand that a very, very narrow column, you know, with a very small footprint is going to be more likely to buckle than to get smashed. You know, like, so all that KL over R and all that stuff, like, you actually get it. The trouble is you have to think about it in the language that engineers use. And so you have to kind of translate it. And I think a lot of the time, I think one of the things that Thaddeus does really well is he sort of treats it seriously, but he helps you navigate the, the translation process from uh, kind of what you already know and then uh, and work with even, uh, and then making it easier to kind of grasp. So, so the first thing I would say to the question asker is, yeah, it's structures, and yeah, it's a hard exam. Eh, don't worry about it. Like, this is stuff you can answer. It's just you have to find this language and be able to translate it back and forth. You know, I find all the time I'll do a class or something, and I'll mention the word structures, and you can see people's eyes just glaze over immediately. And, like, if that's how you're thinking about it, it's like, oh, God, I can't answer structures questions. Well, then, like, you're not in the mindset to be able to take the information in um, and it, you know, there really is nothing that hard about it. It's just this weird translation process. Uh, you know, once you get that formulas are just sort of a description of, you know, what we just said about the beams or, you know, deflection or something like the formula is just a, another tool to talk about it. Uh, and so you just have to find that, that way of doing it. Easier said than done. I know it's hard to make those translations, but um, you know they're not going to ask you anything conceptually that's you know way out of the line of, of uh, you know stuff you don't already have a sort of general feel for. All right, guys. Well, maybe I'll I'll go ahead and, and bring our discussion to a close. Um, lots of really good stuff today. So I want to thank all of you. Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you, Allison, Amanda, Kyle, and Ben. Uh, for sharing your stories and, and sort of your your advice and your techniques and so forth, because um, as we all know, they're they're really really useful. Um, so um, as you know, we we do ARE Live uh, once a month here. So if you'd like to attend our next ARE Live broadcast, we're actually going to be doing a mock exam for the Building Design and Construction Systems exam. Um, so we'll issue a mock exam prior to uh, prior to the webinar. This is um, a little mini mock exam, yep. like 10 questions. Yep. So um, if you'd like to attend that, uh, visit blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register. And just like today, you'll have a chance to ask questions and share your answers with Mike for live feedback during the broadcast. Um, to learn more about our ARE exam prep curriculum, go to blackspectacles.com where you can try out any of the free course videos. And for those of you who are ready to start preparing for the ARE, and if you're already an AIA member, use coupon code 62216NEW 
A-R-C-H-P-C, to get a 15% discount for the entire duration of your ARE prep membership. And finally, please hop over to iTunes right now and rate our podcast to let us know what you think and share any suggestions you may have. I promise we'll read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. So thanks for listening.